Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Eccentric, the makers of the K-Box and the new K-Pulley. Guys, flywheel training's really grown in popularity of late, and although it's something that's been around for a while, the simple reason that it's grown in popularity is because it works. We've been lucky to have a K-Box in our weight room for the past three years, and we've seen some really great things when it comes to improving the athlete's ability to change direction, and then looking at our return to play protocols with different lower body injuries with the student athletes. The love-hate relationship that everyone has with the K-Box is now just going to grow more with the addition of the K-Pulley. The ability to do standing presses, pulls, rip-throughs, and knee drive exercises is just going to be another arsenal to our training and another addition to the love-hate relationship that our student-athletes have with the awesome tools that come from Eccentric. Go ahead and hop over to Eccentric.com today to check out what they have. Guys, I can't recommend it enough, and I guarantee you won't be disappointed not just with the products, but with the awesome customer service that Eccentric provides. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, I have the distinct pleasure of sitting down and talking about monitoring and using your KPIs to drive your training with Corey Kennedy. Guys, after a real quick intro and Corey giving us his background to how we got up to Quebec, we get right into talking about Corey's work with the Canadian Divers, the differences between the surfaces that they're diving off of um, and, and how they monitor the athletes. And he even gets into what they're doing with force plates and what they're looking at numbers-wise with the, with the divers that he gets to work with and, and how this is impacting not just the training they're doing off the platform, but what the coaches are doing with the athletes in the diving role as well. We also talk quite a bit about you know, what he's doing with uh, the hockey players up there. And we also get into what he's doing with the Paralympic swimmers that he gets to work with, including some really awesome monitoring and KPIs that they've come up with. And that includes the, a future idea of how they're looking to implement the 1080 sprint in the water. Super awesome stuff, guys. I really hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Corey, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Thanks, Jay. It's great to be on. Yeah, man, really excited for this one. So let's get right to it because we've done a, we've talked a little bit off camera here and I'm excited to dive into some things. Let's catch everybody up, you know, let them know who Corey Kennedy is, where you are and how you got there. Yeah, perfect. I'm a strength and conditioning coach at the Institut National du Sport du Québec, which is an Olympic sport institute in Montreal, Canada. Um, we have four of them and the beer is one in Montreal. So we deal primarily with uh, all types of Olympians. We have a bunch of different sports that live here uh, and are resident, and then aspiring Olympians in a variety of sports. And I previously worked in Toronto at a private facility that worked a little bit of the sort of collegiate pro ranks and some other Olympic sports that's called FITS. So it's been just over 10 years since I've been working elite sport. Now my main sports here are springboard and platform diving women's national hockey program ice hockey that is so when we're looking at those three teams and those three groups of athletes we're talking about three exclusively different types of athlete let's talk about how you're utilized up there and, and kind of how this works because it's a pretty unique setup yeah one of the neat things about olympic sport is that the funding, every sport is funded differently. They'll apply every 
year or two years for funding from Sport Canada, and that'll determine kind of the level of services they get. And then that'll filter down to how my task is distributed, which means we can kind of have different relationships across different sports. So if I use this as an example, my sports, with diving, they're a, they're a team that gets a lot of medals, and so they're fairly well funded. Uh, we just uh, came back with five medals or six medals at, at the first World Series stop last week in Tokyo. But um, I have the ability to be in contact with the athletes literally as often as we want. So they'll come in to see me for testing, warm-ups, traditional strength sessions multiple times in a day. So I, I see some of the divers multiple times every day over a week, which means that I can control a lot of stuff and we can adapt really quickly when things are going well or not going well. With the swimming, they, they practice literally on the other side of the glass from the weight room. You can, there's a glass over in the weight room. You can see the Olympic pools. So we're not far. I don't see them quite as often. I see them more for just traditional strength, but I will get to sit down with the coach and the physiologist pretty much every day to just catch up on how things are going. Did we see anything in, in the weight room? What happened in the pool? What are we looking for as the week goes on? Where are we in the year? Kind of stuff. Hockey is a little different because it's a non-centralized sport. So we are just one hub in Canada of players in the Montreal area that are part of the national team program. So we don't have a coach here and we don't have ice at the Institute otherwhere in Montreal. So I will be in control of a lot of their uh, strength and conditioning and sort of a lot of their medical with a therapist here. And then I have a side hat that I wear as a performance director for the professional team that they play for. So there's a pro team in Montreal that I also oversee you know, their training, planning, and uh, organization like that. So it's sort of three very different relationships, but they're all part of my task. And then the one that you kind of have the most skin in the game with then is the diving program. And this is a unique yeah. sport. So let's talk about how that program gets things started. Where are you looking when it comes to evaluating these young athletes? Because it's springboard and platform are almost two different events in and of themselves. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely similarities to the, to the dives when you're in the air, but there's definitely different body type, um, I don't want to say requirements, but advantages between the events and um, different takeoffs. So there, there are definitely differences. So we will have a variety of things that we'll kind of do. We'll obviously, it, it starts with the coaches and every coach across every country, even within our building, we have multiple coaches for our senior group. So if we have 16 senior Olympic divers, we actually have four coaches that will work within them. So some of them will coach two or three individuals, another three or four. And interestingly enough, they all have slightly different uh, philosophies and beliefs about what is the most important and least important. So there's a middle ground there where I will have my, my strength coach sports science hat on that says, well, we know that these things lead to different types of performances with different physical qualities. And they'll say, well, specifically to diving, I want, you know, this type of skill, this type of position. So they'll do some testing regularly, uh, for, you know, holding different positions, uh, 
pike ups on camera and off camera with time. Um, they'll have flexibility stuff that they like to do. And then I'll have, you know, the weight room performance type stuff that we try to correlate to performance as best, best we can. Uh, like you said, the, the fact that it's a, an explosive sport, but then it's also got a huge artistic component means that, you know, I don't think we'll ever be able to fully correlate any performance because there's going to be people who are just highly skilled that might uh, sort of become outliers and, and muck the data up. But I think we can still find things that matter. Right. And one of those is going to be how these individuals produce and absorb force because looking at these two different surfaces that are coming off of, you know, the, the projection off of them has got to be night and day, right? Yeah. I mean, on a platform, there's no give. So you're always going to be short ground contact time type of work. So in their training, we will definitely prioritize drop jump type behaviors and sort of faster movements more frequently through the year. Where springboard, like you said, there's a huge element when we're trying to get height off the board that's not just the height you, you can kind of produce on your own on the ground, but how well you use the, the springboard. You want to depress it as much as you can, and then you also have to time it up with the board. So we, the majority of the national team divers are here with me in Montreal, but there are a few at other centers. There's some guys in Toronto, uh, a guy named Andrew Cochran, and and a guy in Victoria named Dana Agar Newman who also work with a few of our divers. So we try to bounce ideas off each other all the time since, you know, we're always in search of the Holy Grail. What does it take to win? And one of the things that they found in Toronto with their small group was that, you know, body mass still had a very large impact on jump height and the ability to produce big dives on springboard, whereas on the tower, it was just sort of jump metrics. So we can automatically say, okay, there's, there's room to have big legs and, and large force-producing muscles in springboard where we wanted to press the board. There's sort of a forgiveness there that actually helps. But we know with the timing of platform and the speed that it takes that, you know, it's really more about the performance of a jump. And you might want to have a leaner athlete who can just get up in the air fast. That's sensational. So then when you start looking at how you evaluate not just the training, but how these athletes move, what are some things that you're looking at? And then take us a little bit behind the looking glass here as to, to how you're evaluating uh, whatever metrics you're taking. Yeah, so we'll have like different levels of jump testing throughout the year. We, some of the divers, like I said, they not all of the divers follow the exact same plan because of the coaching, but some of my divers will jump every single day. Some of them will jump weekly. And then we'll also add in um, monthly, we do a check of squat jump versus counter movement jump without arm swing and counter movement jump with an arm circle, like diving style on the board rather than a volleyball type arm swing. So we'll do that monthly to see the relationship between how well they create force from a squat jump how well they use stretch shortening cycle on the camera movement jump and how well arms sort of add to that as well. And we're trying to establish, you know, are we getting the most out of our arms when we use them? Are we getting the most out of a dip? So as we create new physical capacities, it's like, are they translating to all levels of the dive? 
So that's one way we track. We also look at circuit drop jump profile to see their reactivity. And we'll also do force velocity profiling with loaded jumps to kind of see where in strength and velocity we are as far as training goes. Plus a mid-thigh pull monthly to, to just sort of track strength in general. I tend to use that a lot more than 1RMs just because I find once you have a setup for IMTPs, you can really go through it quickly, simply, and reliably. So that's where we look. We kind of, that's the majority of the info that we bring. I don't really do much tracking from an upper body perspective, um, which may or may not be problematic. You know, there's a lot of injuries that happen in shoulder and wrist, but I'm not sure if uh, setting certain strength standards is necessary since it's not really uh, a KPI of creating a dive. You know, like you definitely need to be able to resist the forces when you hit the water. Uh, they do enter arms first over their head. So that's, that's definitely a need to have stability. But when they're creating a, a dive, you know, arm swing is, is a small part of it and definitely legs and core and a lot of things will way more. So we currently don't really have upper body KPIs other than maintaining shoulder mobility in those positions. When we look at jumps, and we jump height is obviously a, a super important factor, and that'll be the main KPI just because we do believe that jumping at certain heights for men and women uh, is required to complete a certain level of degree of difficulty. So our best jumper doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily our best Olympic diver, but there are minimums for sure you have to hit if you all of a sudden want to add um, a third um, somersault. So instead of a, a front two and a half, now you want to add a front three and a half. We need time in the air, so we are going to have to add height. Then we look at different timing of how quickly they get off the ground to sort of see whether or not we are optimizing our ability to move quickly. And we do uh, think that this translates also to the ability to twist and spin, although we, we haven't really shown that yet. So time will tell, but that's, that's using the time on the ground during a counter movement jump as a, a second indicator. And then within the force velocity profiles and the, the contribution arm swings and stuff. That's really, uh, I'd say it's a lot more experimental at this point where I can't say that we, we have found anything that we're sure of, but we have some things we're thinking about, uh, like RSI and um, just those percentages of how much you add on to the jumps. And then same thing with mid-thigh pull. We have sort of standards of strength that we think everyone needs for either uh, to maximize their jump height or just durability. I think in a lot of sports, sometimes when we talk about how strong is strong enough, sometimes we forget about the durability aspect of practicing eight times a week or nine times a week for a whole year. And when you go to travel that, you know, you need a strength reserve to, to make you robust. So for some of the athletes, we just have say, I'll have a prescription where it's like, okay, we're never going to drop on this strength because we know that when we do we're a little bit more fragile to travel and things like that so those are kind of the pieces that we come from on the performance side and then constant communication with the coach that like we we meet every week to see like okay how are things coming along or do we think that as i say hey our jumps are going way up athletes are more powerful athletes stronger athletes doing this you know, are they seeing that happen on the springboard and the platform? And sometimes that requires, you know, a little bit more 
practice on trying to be more aggressive in the start of a dive. If it's like, hey, you have more hardware now, you have to try to use it. And sometimes it's a, a coaching cue on, on position. There are slight different positions on the platform or springboard sometimes and in the weight room. So there's always that last point of like, how are, is this transferring and are we sure where the coach will have a lot of say? And the coach has got their own technical indicators that they'll look at you know, in practice, which is normal. That's a lot of stuff. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so then you touched upon some small metrics and what you're looking at yep. in the future. So then how then are you using all of this? Well, you said you were talking about the coaches. So, so how, how involved and in-depth do those conversations get? And how involved and in-depth does this communication get with the athlete in determining what their training programs and protocols are going to be based on these force plate measures? I'd say that the athletes, they're very aware. I, I show them everything and I let them see everything, but they don't all care to know. Luckily, this, this is my fifth season with diving. So some of them, I have a high amount of trust. So if I just say, this is what we're working on, they'll say, sweet, let's go. Sometimes they'll say, oh, hey, why is that? And then we'll go through it. The coaches obviously will be a bit more in-depth. We will, I will update them regularly on what we're getting in terms of long-term trends. Because uh, once you've gone through five seasons, at this point, there's sort of two things. There's like your gold standard of what you hope you get all, at all time, like personal bests. But there's also a natural rhythm that happens in any sports season where we don't PR every week of our career, right? There's normal rhythms where you have, you know, early season training with really high volumes. A lot of things tend to go down. And then when you get towards competition, you hope to bring that back to a peak. So I'll always have that reference with the coach. Like this is where we are compared to previous years. You know, we have, we know when we've performed at our best over the career, like, Hey, at this world, this was the best ever score. What were those numbers like? That's where we're trending to now. So we have that conversation over sort of a, a more longitudinal approach. And then the last step is the daily monitoring where we've created a, a stoplight system based on the force plate metrics, which we think do a really good job of capturing the, the capabilities of the athlete on the day and you know, how they're affected by fatigue and things of that nature. So that's something that we'll transmit daily. The athletes will actually are actually empowered to sort of take their information to the coach because they literally will jump on the plates and then walk over to the pool and dive right away. So they'll say, you know, they'll come on and say, hey, these are my colors. This is where I'm at. And the coach will kind of use that to decide whether he wants to adapt practice, eliminate a practice, eliminate, take one dive off or do more stuff than they were going to if the athlete's in a good place. So there are parts where the athlete is empowered and are aware of what's going on. And then there's others where I'd say, uh, you know, on the monthly side, in terms of training plans, they tend to just trust a lot. And then, but there is data to back up if they ever want to see it and they know that. I love that because I think that autonomy for them to be able to have that power is, for lack of a better term, extremely empowering, especially when there's data behind it. Yeah. And, and like you said, now there's, there's so many years where they've seen this, both the good and the bad, right? They've seen when they've peaked, they've seen when they're low, they see good days and bad days. And 
um, no monitoring system is ever 100% perfect in terms of predicting the capabilities of the wellness of the athlete. But if you do a good enough job, you hope to get to a place where you're fairly confident that you, you have the general trend, right? Like when you have your basketball players, when you tell a coach like, hey, we're, we're all a bit fried, you hope like, yeah, I'm pretty sure of that. I can't tell you exactly what percent each person is. But so we found that now the way we've built out our system that is pretty reliable in terms of saying like, this is a good day, this is a bad day, and this is a normal day to a point where they trust a lot in that. And they, they'll use that to go home and say, oh man, I didn't get much sleep. Okay, yeah. I see it's a bad day that's on me. I'll go and take care of that. Sometimes it's, oh, that's weird, two in a row. What do you think it is, Corey? And then I can, we can get into a discussion about, okay, are you sleeping? Okay, maybe uh, we added too much too fast with the coach. I'll chat with the coach and see if maybe we're doing too many dives. Or maybe it's me. Maybe it's like, oh, yeah, we, we just switched to a bunch of eccentric stuff, and, and I expect you to be fried for a while. Don't worry about it. We'll come back out of it. So it's gotten to a point where they – they know enough of the data to ask smart questions. And I think that's an important part of the process. Oh, I love it. A thousand percent, especially when you can make them more positively inquisitive in order to drive better decisions to affect positive change in behavior. Yeah, exactly. Well put. So let's, let's stay in the water, but let's get out of the diving well for a minute and, and let's get into the, into the pool. And let's talk about your role with, with those group of athletes. Yeah, I'd say my role with um, swimming is slightly less of a lead, more in the weight room. But it is we do have a really good, good team, uh, integrated team in terms of what we're trying to do, which I, I appreciate being a part of. In this role, our physiologist, um, her name's Miriam Paquette, she, she takes a huge planning lead. And she creates a lot of our dashboards and monitoring. So she'll aggregate, um, she'll aggregate swim data, weight room data that I provide, HRV and psychometric data daily. And um, she'll create, she's created her own dashboards to update us on. We, we get both updates every day on HRV and questionnaires. And then once a week on our sort of KPIs. So I'll do three sessions a week on average with athletes in the weight room. And now we're starting to trial uh, this afternoon, actually, I'm going to, we're going to start to try and build out a, fun, a format of using the 1080 sprint in the water. Something I do a lot with my hockey players, but now we're going to try and bring it to swimming. So that might increase my role a little bit, but I'll, I'll do the strength stuff and I'll contribute to poolside warm-up stuff in terms of giving the athletes work to do on their own. And then the physiologists and coach are, are gonna plan a lot of what happens in practice. And then we'll sort of meet in the middle to say, okay, how is this working? Is what I'm trying to do in the weight room fitting with our goals? And one of the things with their dashboard that I love is we've been able to break out into a mix of like physical capacity KPIs. And we also have very specific race KPIs. So that could be, um, you know, the time it takes to make turns, it could be the first 25 meters for someone. It could be uh, a certain stroke for the ones that do IMs and things that might be doing multiple strokes. It could be just a weight room KPI. So there's, we kind of have our different levels where it goes, where the transfer is always sort of kind of coming back, which uh, I think is super important when you're always looking at a sport that 
you know, it's hard to replicate in the gym. You always want to say, okay, how's this working and going together? So that's kind of how that goes. Sensational. Now, selfishly, I've got to, I've got to run down this rabbit hole. Let's, let's dig into those KPIs. So as, as a guy that's been in swimming for 15 years, like how, how did you come up with these? Where did these ideas come from? And then how are you or what are you doing to, to sort of validate that these are what's best for each individual? So in terms of where it came from, part of it just came from the basics of uh, sort of measurement in, in strength and condition. We wanted tests that we found repeatable, that we could control enough to define significant change and that answered a, a good enough story that we think we can draw on um, effects. So right now our main tests are, again, they do counter movement jumps and mid-thigh pulls. So mid-thigh pull, general strength, we know it correlates really high with weightlifting and squatting. So as a general strength measure, we know or we believe that it at least tells a story. Are you stronger or not? Um, especially as far as the legs are, and there is an upper body component to holding the bar. With jump height, again, every swim starts with a jump into the water, and every turn involves a type of jump. It's not exactly the same as a counterweight jump, but we do believe that general explosiveness in the legs matters. Um, so that's why we have that as well. Then we, there's two tests that we sort of created, and one of them I think is working better than the other, and I'll get to those. The first one, the athlete is sort of in a in like a hinged position, hip hinge position, leaning forward, almost torso parallel to the ground. And we have a Kaiser set up fairly high above their head. And with a straight arm pull down at their side, we have them do uh, like a load velocity profile to take peak power. So they'll each athlete, depending on their capacities will do a light to heavy spectrum and in there we will track the peak power left hand right hand across every month so then we can kind of see are they getting powerful across the board is this only happening you know light heavy left right so there's that and then on the and we take three reps of each just for a, a variability purpose then we do an isometric lap pull down. And similar concept as an IMTP, we kind of strap down the weight stack and a lap pull down. We put in uh, a strength gauge, a force gauge in between the, the handle and the wire. And then we also put in uh, another strap so we can lower the handle to different lengths. And then we measure it with a goniometer, the same as a mid thigh pull. And we chose. Uh, 90 degrees at the elbow and same concept you know pull as hard as you can for five seconds two reps that one I'd say uh, after our first year and a bit of using it it didn't seem to change very much compared to say the straight arm pull downs and the mid thigh pulls so I'm not sure if it's actually reflective of their performance so I think that's part of sports science is always coming up with ideas trying to validate them and maybe saying that's not working at all but we do like the um, the pull down as a as a KPI. So that kind of gives us an upper body power in a position that we think looks close enough to swimming that would have an effect. And then you have your lower body strength and rate of force development and lower body explosiveness. 
I love it, especially the fact that you're you're finding some kind of ins and outs and backdoors of ways that you may want to alter some of those. So I guess let me get you out with this one. Where do you see those KPIs evolving to? And how do you see that continuing, uh, continuing, excuse me, to impact how you prepare these, these swimmers? Well, first, I think um, the 1080 could become something really valuable. The thing I've loved about the 1080 on a sprint side is that you can, you're quantifying everything you do, but you can do it while also loading it, which is a super helpful concept. So today, for example, are, we've, we've done a few really short trials in the past, but today I intend to try to um, find out at what sort of loads we go to get certain speeds in the water, and we want to see how much that athlete is affected maybe to their position or something that makes it unnatural with both assisted and resisted speeds. And once we kind of, hopefully if we can establish these sort of thresholds and we can now have a quantifiable measure in the water of swimming performance where we can say, okay, well, we load at a certain rate and it puts us at a certain speed. You know, this might be like the first few strokes coming out of a turn, or it could be um, different parts of a race, or it could be, okay, how does, how much power are you putting in the water when we uh, have you at a certain speed where we're helping you? There's, I think there's a lot of, possibility in there that can be both a training effect and a repeatable KPI if we say go back to fixed loads and see how fast they swim or um, the kind of force outputs on each stroke but again that's something that is going to take trial and error to see if it works and you know it could very well be one of those things that based on the setup as soon as it changes their body position it might become unnatural to how they swim and that I think is going to take time to check as far as in the weight room stuff I think there's always a place to keep pulling back and putting in new tests so I talked about the um, lap pull down well if we decide now it, it's just not working and to pull the plug on it I don't know that there's any reason we can't go back and go okay what about a, a load velocity profile in a bench pull is that slightly different than those one arm pull downs but maybe more reflective of upper body strength because what we want wanted from it was we wanted a more swimming specific position where we could get that same kind of information like what is your peak force in this place without you know I always worry if you just go a one rm lap pull down you know how do you control for swinging and different things when someone's really trying to get after it and that's why we thought the isometric method could be more precise and repeatable but maybe it's something like a bench pull and you can always extrapolate with velocities at different loads and maybe that ends up being better so i think there's always a place to to take a test out and put a new test in i think we will never get past you know basic lower body strength um, some sort of upper body power that you can redo and again jumping we still find that the monitoring piece is affected uh, so we even though it's not as much a jumping sport as diving it is a measure that we can extrapolate and say this athlete's in a good place, this athlete's in a bad place, we should load more, load less, or they should be ready to, to swing fast this weekend, we're good to go. The jumping, we found that jump height, still kind of peaking that for competitions, seems to go well and they race well, but I can't say that we're certain that a certain jump height makes you 
fast all the time in the water. It might just be that we've managed as a team to bring that athlete to a good tapered place, right? And, and anyone tapered should have their own best jump that day. So it could be that jumping is not a huge swimming KPI, but just, you know, we did a good job of managing the athlete's load and, and peaking strategy. I love it. Absolutely love it. So Corey, where can people find out more about what you're doing and, and follow you a little bit to see everything you got going up there? Yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Corey K S and C spelled out in letters. So S A N D C Corey with no E just C O R Y. And I work at, like I said, Quebec. so our website is insquebec.org and that doesn't have a lot of like constant update of blogs, but it does tell us a lot about, you know, the different educational stuff we put on. And there's also a lot of videos and photos of, of the Institute. It's a pretty exceptional place. It's 180,000 square feet. We have four floors, you know, five pools. Uh, there's 10 sports that are permanently resident here full time, close to 200 Olympic athletes. So it's, it's an exceptional space. So just kind of getting a feel for, the place I work in sometimes is a, a neat thing. If you want to check out that website. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. This is absolutely fantastic. Corey, I can't thank you enough for your time. No problem. Jay is great to be on. Yeah, man. Well, appreciate you real. And uh, we'll be in touch real soon. Perfect. Have a great day, Jay. You too. And a huge thanks to Corey Kennedy for spending the time with us today. Guys, open, honest, candid sharing, a, a coach, and a sports scientist, as he said, breaking down exactly what they're looking at, why they're looking at it, how they're looking at it, and then what they're using those numbers and those evaluations as driving forces behind their training. I can't thank Corey enough for spending the time with us today and being so open, honest, and candid, and really just laying it all out there so we all can take a step back and look at what we're doing and how we're evaluating our athletes and you know, hopefully end up doing better by them. And as always, guys, if you did enjoy the talk, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. As always, we're just trying to get the best information out there to all the great coaches that we can. And as always, guys, thank you for everything that you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.